0: Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Well, hello there, Impact Makers. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. I want to thank those of you who have been tuning in each week, and I also want to thank you if you're a new listener. It's been really exciting for me to challenge myself to learn something new and also to share some of the interesting people that I know with you and to share how they're making an impact in the world and building careers that they love and lives that matter. Today's episode is going to be just you and me. I wanna take an opportunity to share with you the answers to some of the questions that I get asked frequently. I get asked questions like, well, who am I and how did I get started in my career? I also get asked a lot about how I decided to start my own business and when that happened And probably the thing that I get asked most often, because it's what I do every day, is how did I become a professional speaker? And maybe to share some tips about how, if that's something that you want to do, whether it's starting your own business or becoming a speaker, that you can do those things too. So like with most stories, you always kind of joke that, hey, you don't have to go all the way back to, you know, you were born in a log cabin on a a small farm. But the reality is my story is actually pretty close to that. So I do kind of want to start at the beginning to share some of the things that have impacted me along the way. And the reality is I did grow up in a log cabin on a small farm in Tennessee. My father's family has a farm in Tennessee that they've owned for many, many years And way, way back, my great, 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 great grandmother built a log cabin on that farm. And my every generation after that lived in that, including my dad at some point, and my brother and I were raised in that house on that farm. So I don't know what that says about me, but it's a place where I've started and also a place that's very dear to me and I think really shaped me. Uh, In a lot of ways, to be who I am. Certainly, my parents and growing up in that kind of environment and having that connection to family makes a big difference. But that's where it all started Cleveland, Tennessee, on the Johnson Farm. But somewhere after that, obviously, I went out into the world and uh, went to college. Not really knowing what I wanted to do. I don't think, I don't really recall ever, you know, wanting to be an astronaut or a policeman or a firefighter or the things that a lot of times kids say they want to do. I don't know that I ever really thought about what I wanted to do when I would grow up. I loved sports and I probably, if you had asked me, I would have wanted to be a basketball player. But at that time, I don't think that women's professional basketball uh, was a thing. So that probably wasn't even an option. So I went away to college, again, with no real plans other than you just go to college. And at some point, I think it was around my junior year, I was told that I had to choose a major and start pursuing a career path. And without ever having talked to someone who worked in what was called at the time personnel, that was what human resources would called back in the 80s, um, I decided I wanted to work in personnel. And I joke about this a lot. I say I was a millennial before millennials were cool. Um, The reality is I chose that because I felt like that was probably the quickest path to be able to influence the most people and to have an impact in the organization. Now, I'm not sure I framed it that way, but I wanted to get to, quote, the top as quick as I could. Um, And of course, you know, nowadays I could tell you that HR is not necessarily the top, but I do believe that I made a good decision at that point because it is a great place. I think the best place in the organization to really have the opportunity to have a lot of impact and to influence the most people because in human resources, obviously, you're dealing with everyone in the organization. Now, of course, everything wasn't rosy. and my first job out of college, I was actually the personnel manager slash shipping and receiving manager. So, That was an interesting turn along the way, but it was a great, great opportunity. I was the youngest person in the plant. I was the only woman on the leadership team and I was an HR department of one. So I was given the opportunity to really go out and explore how to set up an HR department in a a fairly young company. It It was fairly small at the time. And I remember on the first day I sat in the plant manager's office who had hired me and he said, your office is over there. There's some books in it. I don't know anything about personnel, so you're going to have to figure it out, which to me was music to my ears because I love to work on my own independently and figure things out. And I also love to work with people. But that was a great gift, I think, to be able to really figure things out. Now, on the other half of my job, I had eight people that reported to me in shipping and receiving. All of them were much older than me, and of course, I didn't know anything about driving a forklift or loading trucks or maintaining a warehouse, and so I had to put myself in the position to really learn from them, and I'm so grateful that they took me under their wing, they taught me a lot, they were very uh, forthcoming with me when I didn't know things or if I did something wrong, and I thankfully accepted their feedback and the opportunity to learn and grow from them. So I worked in that company for, I believe, almost eight years and then moved to Cincinnati. And the plan at the time of moving to Cincinnati was that I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. My son was two at the time, or almost two at the time, and my mom had stayed home with me and my brother uh, while we grew up. My husband's mother had stayed home with him and his brother until they had finished school, and so maybe when I said earlier I didn't know what I was going to be when I grew up, I I probably thought that my place in life was to be a stay-at-home mom. So the plan was to stay home with my son. And I, I joke about this, but it's really true, and it's funny that I sit here in my office and I'm looking out the exact same window where this happened. But um, my son and I were home for a few months uh, after we moved here to Cincinnati, and I won't say that I was great at it. Uh, You know, remember I'm introverted and my son is like off the charts, extroverted. And so he needed to be around people. And one day he went to these windows in the front of our house, placed his hands up on the windows and said, I want to go to daycare. I miss the kids. (laughs) That's exactly what he said. I want to go to daycare. I miss the kids. And he was two. Um, So I was fired. I was basically fired as a stay-at-home mom. That was not my calling in life. And even though I still didn't work for another few months after he made that decision, uh, we put him in daycare a few days a week so he could be around the other kids. And he thanked me the day that we drove into the parking lot. So um, sometimes you need to get people where they best fit in. And my son needed to be around lots of other people. After a period of time, it was time to go back to work, and I like a lot of things. You know, things sometimes come in threes, and I had a few job offers, three at the time. One that, you know, would have been a a bigger job with more pay than what I'd had in the past, one that had a really cool office and some cool perks with it, and the third job was actually a job that had a lower title and less money. Um, But the opportunity was really cool. It was starting up a new facility in an existing organization in a Japanese-owned company. And that was something that really appealed to me. Now, I almost didn't take the job because we would we all wore uniforms in that company and we had open offices. So no one had an office. And of course, the title was less. And I'll never forget um, the manager that hired me offered me a significant amount of money less than what I had been making when I moved to Cincinnati. And he told me flat out, you aren't working so I can do this. And that's a lesson, folks, I've never forgotten that. Obviously, I still chose to join the organization because of the opportunity, but that's not a great way to tell somebody that you value them, that, hey, I'm taking advantage of your situation, you're not working, and I'm going to pay you less. The good news is it was the right decision to join that company. I'd learned so much. It was a Japanese automotive environment, so Toyota production system, relatively new company. And again, I was there to start build and start up a new organization, hire all the people, set up the training systems. Just an amazing, amazing opportunity. And I learned to love wearing the same thing to work every day and not worrying about that. I did never really learn to love the open office concept, but I learned how to deal with it. And fairly quickly, I was promoted to the same job title that I'd had before and more money. So, um, you know, again, it was the right decision. And once again, I was the only woman on the leadership team and the youngest person in the plant uh, or in the facility. So, or actually the youngest person in leadership. So I don't share those things to say, hey, look at me, but I want you to kind of see where I'm coming from as someone who often was first and maybe Face some of the challenges with that. But I can tell you at the time, I didn't really give it that much thought. Um, While it was a good thing to have women in leadership in the organizations where I worked, and ultimately, there were always more to come later. um, I never really looked around myself and and thought, uh, as I would today, probably about needing more representation of women in leadership. And I'm glad that I had those opportunities. And I hope that um, I did them well. So after a few years of working at the Japanese automotive company and again learning so many things, um, I was actually sitting in a training class one day. We had engaged a consultant, brought them in to do Really super exciting training that I cared nothing about, which was union avoidance training. Now, if you have ever worked in automotive or certainly in a Japanese company, you know that avoiding unions um, is something that they're very high on, and we were as well. And so every year we did union avoidance training with our managers, and I just couldn't figure out how to make that uh, sexy. So we engaged an outside consultant, and he was wonderful. And I remember sitting in his training class. um, He was in his 70s. That was his full-time job was consulting and training on topics like union avoidance and some of the other things that we used his firm for. And I sat there and I remember watching him and saying, I'd love to do what he's doing. He's up there talking to people. He's making this fun. He's sharing great stories. um, And I would like to teach people because that seems to be something that really resonates with me. And I didn't really know or, you know, had not come across people like maybe a Zig Ziglar or a Les Brown or some of the speakers that were out there during the, that time of, of my life. But um, I thought, you know, someday I'd like to do that. But I was about 10 years into my career and I thought to myself, you know, he's got over 45 years in uh an industrial organization, or he worked at General Motors. And so he had wonderful stories to illustrate all of his points. And I remember thinking, I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough stories yet to be able to stand up there and to teach and to train and to have the stories that seem to have the most impact and make this enjoyable. So in my mind that day, I just kind of said, I probably need at least 20 years of experience in business before I can think about going out on my own and doing something similar to what he does. And that's probably the last time I thought about that for the next 10 years or so. I didn't really say, I'm going to do these things, I'm going to start to learn, I'm going to watch other people, what I would do today, you know, find somebody who's doing that and maybe model what they're doing, but I kind of put it out there as someday I would like to be a speaker. And I put that arbitrary number of about 20 years. So fast forward a little bit, I ultimately changed jobs to another organization, which was a turnaround situation in a very old organization, an organization that had been around for over 100 years, very well known brands, um, actually was a, a good money making organization, but had been very mismanaged and was about to go bankrupt. And so a lot of Local rich people is what I call them in the Cincinnati area had bought this company because it was such an iconic brand uh, in an iconic industry in the city, and they didn't want it to go underground. So they pulled their resources, bought the company with the hopes of putting a management team in place to turn it around and ultimately sell it to the right people who would steward the brand and take care of it. And so unbeknownst to me, I didn't really ask a lot of the right questions that you should in the interview. I joined a team of new executives with a a really energetic and charismatic young CEO leader they had put in place to turn this business around, not only financially, but culturally. And again, that was an an opportunity that I took kind of kicking and screaming for a lot of reasons. I was very happy where I was. Um, The organization that I worked with at the time was a world-class organization. People came to our organization to benchmark our our manufacturing practices, our people practices. And here was this new opportunity to go into something that was really broken and try to turn it around. And the physical environment was depressing It was a very old facility, broken windows everywhere, a lot of people who were disengaged. But ultimately, the CEO sold me on the vision of being a part of changing something and making everyone's lives better, improving the organization, improving the working conditions, making people love their jobs again, and making a better product so that we could really build the brand up to what it should be. And he left out that part about selling the company. And again, I didn't even think to ask that. And after a couple of years of – or a couple of weeks, actually, of being there, I kept hearing people talk about, well, when we sell the company and when we sell the company. And I, I went to the CEO one day and I said, you know, I, I think I forgot to ask a question in the interview – Uh, usually when you talk about selling a company, that's not a good thing. And he goes, oh, that's a great thing. And that's exactly why we're here. If we do our jobs right, then we will sell the company in about five years to the right people. And so kind of reframed my thinking to, okay, I'm doing something to sell the organization, which probably will end up in my job going away, but okay, that's what I'm here for. And we ultimately did turned the company around in a lot of ways, and sold the company in two and a half years to a Fortune 100 company that still owns them today. And like a lot of times when that happens, ultimately the executive team transitioned out of there. Um, I didn't go as soon as I should have, and there's a whole story behind that, which maybe I'll share in a future episode. But I ultimately found myself out on the, quote, streets without a job after about 18 and a half years in my career. So hadn't hit the 20-year mark and again, hadn't really been thinking about that as something to pursue. But, you know, 18 and a half years into my corporate uh, human resources career, was out there kind of thinking about what's next. And at the time, I'd been through, uh, you know, starting up a new department in an organization and really growing the first company that I worked for. Um, the second job, again, was kind of a startup situation where we built a new facility and I, you know, again, helped to staff that up and build that organization. And then the third was a, a really challenging situation with a turnaround and a lot of hard work to make that happen. And so I was really kind of tired, you know, and maybe even a little burnt out. So I took a couple of months off and engaged a career coach Uh, which I had never heard of or worked with. I didn't know what a career coach was, but engaged a career coach to kind of help me think about what my next steps would be. Because I had taken a couple months off and thought about, you know, what I wanted to do next, the idea of starting my own business because I'd planted that seed earlier was in my head. And I thought, well, maybe now's the time. Um, Had not really thought about what that would be. And again, hadn't really thought about speaking as a professional career So since I'd been in human resources, I guess I was thinking more, I'd just go into consulting, maybe start my own consulting business. So I wanted a coach to kind of help me walk through that. And I'm so, so very grateful that I engaged Mike Lynch at Centennial Inc. here in Cincinnati, Ohio, as my career coach, never having met him, never having um, worked with a career coach or even known what a career coach was. So I do feel like that was a bit of divine providence there. Um, Started working with Mike. In January of 2016. So that was where I found myself in my career. And part of Mike's process or the career coach's process was that I had to create a marketing plan for myself. How would I go out there and talk to people about the skills that I had and what I wanted to do next? And I was pretty set on thinking about starting my own business, but he said, you know, when you go out and talk to people, you really need to have. Maybe a couple of things that you can potentially talk about. So you've obviously worked in human resources your whole career, so that should probably be one of them. You may find an opportunity to go back into the corporate world. Um, starting your own business can be your second one, and and you've done a lot of recruiting in your jobs um, over the years. So why not add recruiting? Because his thing, his system was to pick three, and then the next step is where I kind of went. Uh, it's great that I engaged a coach because if I hadn't. Uh, I would probably 12 years later still be unemployed because the next step was to actually take that marketing plan and go out and start talking to people. Now, you've heard me say before on this podcast, and if you know me, you know this as well, I'm an introvert. I don't talk to people on my own. <laughs> you know, I talked to people for a living and I'm in a people career, but asking people to talk to me, that's a whole other thing or pursuing them or going to networking meetings. It was just not something that I'd ever done. So when he said I had to go out and start talking to people about my marketing plan, I said, I don't know anybody. And thankfully he didn't accept that. Uh, he said, everybody knows somebody. And I said, you know what? I really don't. I know the people that I've worked with and that's pretty much it. So I always say I was put on the remedial plan. Um, The firm that uh, the career coach worked with was a local recruiting firm. So he was a a career coach within that recruiting firm that that worked with some of their clients, but also had clients of his own. And he said, well, I'm going to start you with Mike Sipple Sr., the owner of the recruiting firm. Mike knows a lot of people and he's someone very safe that you can start with and start to learn how to go out and network and use the process that uh, I'm teaching you, which is I don't go out and say, I'm looking for a job. Can you help me get a job? I go out and meet people and interesting people learn about them, learn about their career path, maybe share a little bit about me. But the goal was not to get a job. And that's really, really important. And I think for anyone who ever finds themselves in a job search situation, if you can take this piece of advice, it was magical that I was actually not sure what I wanted to do next because I really wasn't looking for a job. So even though that was part of the process, not to ask people to get me a job, because I wasn't looking for a job, I was just interested in learning about people. So my lifelong curiosity about people, I've always been fairly good at um, asking questions and being curious really helped me in that situation. And so when my first meeting with Mike Sr., who owned a recruiting firm for 35 years, was very well thought of in the community, and Mike listened, and part of the process was to build enough rapport with the people that I met with that they would be willing to give me three additional names of people that I could also meet with that they knew. And hopefully be able to reach out to those people and say, hey, Mike Sipple Sr. suggested that I talk with you rather than just making a cold call. So Mike gave me three names. um, And from there, the goal was to meet with those people in person and to try to you can learn enough about them, get them to trust me, build enough rapport to get three additional names. And I wish I, I had the, the spreadsheet is still in an old computer that's around this house that probably I need a floppy disk to access, but um I know I met with dozens and dozens of people over the next probably two to three months. And and the process actually became so enjoyable to me. I, I kind of lost focus on obtaining gainful employment because <laughs> my job then became going out and meeting interesting people and hearing their stories about how they got to where they were in their career. And... In many cases, then also they would express interest in me and what I was trying to do and offer great advice. And that was such a valuable process. So many people were so helpful to me. They gave me great advice. It made me realize that I had really, really missed out in my professional career by not getting out and doing this while I was employed in the corporate world. So many people have wonderful stories to share. They want to help you succeed. They gave me great advice. They had, you know, many of them encountered similar situations to me in the past. They had better solutions or I met vendors who had products that I could have used. And so huge takeaway from that was I really missed out by not just getting out and meeting and connecting with interesting people. So I'm thankful to all those people who helped me along the way. And one of those people was someone who actually heard speak at a meeting for job search, people in job search. And he was a CEO of a financial services firm at the time. And he had been in career transition kind of uh, unexpectedly at one point recently. And he shared that he made a commitment while he was in that process because so many people were so... Wonderful to help him that when he got a job, that he would give away 10% of his time to help other people because so many people had been so helpful to him. So when I finally decided what I was going to do next, I decided to take that um, Action with me. Again, so many people had been so helpful to me and helped me to make the decision about what to do next that I wanted to give back. And so I kind of set aside, quote, 10% of my time, although sometimes it was way more than that, um, to meet with senior level executives who were in career transition and try to find a way to add value to them in their job search, which was interesting because ultimately I landed at the recruiting firm as an executive recruiter, working at Centennial Inc. as an executive recruiter. And why did that happen? That, in my mind, was never on the radar. I didn't want to be a recruiter. It was not something I would ever think I would do. Remember, I don't cold call. I don't want to reach out to people that I know. And, and for me, my experience with a lot of recruiters had been very transactional and not something that I had enjoyed. So as I talked with people, I got Again, the best advice ever from multiple people during that networking process, that I was not ready to start my own business. Again, a lot of people just say, I'm going to start my own business. They go out, they try, they learn from people on the internet these days. Gary Vee's doing it so I can do it. Um, But I'm so grateful that I talked to people who gave me honest feedback that I was not ready to start my own business. Now, why wasn't I ready to start my own business? Number one, I didn't know what I had to sell. Again, I, I thought I'd just do like, you know, put the shingle up. Jennifer's for hire. She's wonderful. You should work for her. Work with her. Um, and that's why probably the majority of businesses fail in their first year. I didn't really know. I didn't have a marketing plan for, quote, a business. Second thing that people pointed out to me was I'd never done any kind of business development. I'd never sold anything. I'd never packaged and sold something that I did. I'd never tried to convince people to buy from me. And I had no clue how to go about that. And so again, if I started my own business, hung out my little shingle, um, how would people even know who I was or what I had to sell? And if I started trying to reach out to people and do some marketing or sales activities, um, I'd never done it and probably wouldn't be good at it. And so the third thing that people would say is, you don't know what you have to sell. You've never done business development. So please don't start your own business yet. Not that you can't ever do that, but you're not ready yet. You need to take an interim step. You need to learn that. So why not go into executive recruiting? And that was just something, again, that never would have crossed my radar. I did not see myself as a recruiter, did not see myself as someone who would be developing my own business for that. But it just kept coming up in the conversations over and over and over again. Why not become an executive recruiter? And I would say back to these people, I don't really like recruiters. Um, Many of them call me. Again, remember, I was in HR, so I felt like if I was having to use an outside recruiter, I had failed. Now, aside, I learned very quickly that I was a bad partner for recruiters, so that was on me, not them. Um, And I saw many of them as being, again, very transactional. So smarter people than me said... Well, then don't go to work for a firm like that. What if you could work for a firm that was more relationship-focused, that was more about building business where you can add value, about really connecting with what the companies need so that you can meet that need and provide a valued service rather than a transaction? And oh, by the way, aren't you doing career coaching with Centennial, Inc.? They're wonderful, and they do it just like that. So about three months later, I kind of ended up back with Mike Sipple Sr., who I had started my networking with, and said, you know, a lot of people are telling me that I should become an executive recruiter. What do you think? And he's so wonderful. He said, if you think you can do it, I'm willing to give you a shot. And he does that with a lot of people. Mike is truly a servant leader who really listens to people and helps them to succeed or to try to find the way that they can succeed. So he was willing to give me an opportunity to test my skills as an executive recruiter. But that wasn't without, again, some frank good advice. He said, you know, typically people from human resources are not successful as executive recruiters because, number one, they've never sold anything. Um, number two, they're used to having control of the process, and we don't control the process. Um and so I took that as a challenge. You know, okay, so if people in my of my type typically aren't successful, I want to see if I can be successful. And, you know, I keep using the word sales when, again, it really wasn't about sales. It was about building relationships, meeting the needs that our uh, clients and customers had. And I had to go out and to build some relationships. So he kind of set me up very well for what I could expect, that it would take me six to nine months to earn any money at all. Because for the first six to nine months, my job was really to be out meeting people in the community. And same as when people, you know, when I was looking for a job, not going out and saying, hey, can you help me find a job? But really just getting to know people and, and building those relationships. That same thing translated into how I developed business and Centennial developed business. Just going out and meeting people, building relationships, ultimately seeing if there was a mutual need for how we could help each other. And thankfully, again, Mike and the team at Centennial did a great job of really showing me how to do that. Fast forward again about three and a half years. Remember, I'm giving away 10% of my time to senior level executives while I'm also out developing my own business, uh, interviewing candidates. It was full cycle. So I had to find my clients, find the candidates, place the candidates, and do the the aftercare, um, which was fun. And I I did... um, Get pretty good at that, I think, for a while. But I really uh, enjoyed the part where I was meeting with these people who were in their career transitions. I would listen to them. I would look over their resume. And because I I was a safe place, you know, I wasn't interviewing them for a job. And uh, again, I'm curious and talking to people comes easily to me. I was able to get people to a lot of times share some of their weaknesses, you know, things that they were trying to hide in the job search. We often think about, you know, senior executives and they often think about themselves as, you know, I have a lot of skills and talent and I'll just be able to get a job when I want a job. And in today's environment, you know, sometimes that's true. But many of them, you know, are mid-career or, um, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, they've had a lot of career success and now because of a layoff or a downsizing or, you know, a lot of maybe some of them got fired, um, they're out there and they're not professional job seekers. That's something to remember. They're not, this is not what they do for a living. And so many of them are trying to approach the job search the same way they would, you know, in their job, you know, I got this and, um, you know. I don't need help or advice because I'm so good at what I do. But once I got many of them talking to me, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of uncertainty. And so finding ways to address that with them, whether it was helping them talk through a situation where maybe they'd gotten fired and they didn't know how to really talk about that in an interview, or helping them understand what networking was really like. Because remember, I'd learned that from... Uh, looking for my next opportunity. and So I shared my story as well. And it was early 2016, and at that time, LinkedIn was fairly new, and I had hopped on very early. And so one of the things that I often showed those people as a way to add value was how to set up a LinkedIn profile and to start building their network with LinkedIn. So what ultimately happened from that was many of those executives either were part of networking meetings and organizations for other executives, or they eventually got hired into companies, obviously, and they started asking me to come and speak to the groups they were a part of. Come and teach people about networking. Come and teach people about how to use LinkedIn. Come and teach people or share my story about what I learned in my networking and, quote, job search process. Whether that was to other people who were in career transition or to, again, maybe come in and talk to their HR or their recruiting teams about how to use LinkedIn or social media. Or to talk to their executives about, you know, finding the right talent. It by accident really kind of started happening that people started inviting me to speak. So maybe there's something about putting intention out there in the universe. Remember, about 10 years earlier, I'd said I wanted to become a speaker about 20 years into my career, but I knew I needed to wait until I had some stories. This is about 20 years into my career. And what got me the opportunity to go out and talk to people was sharing my stories interesting how things kind of work out. But I wasn't thinking, oh, this is my path to being a professional speaker. I was a recruiter. Remember, I had a job to do. Um, But thankfully, it was beneficial to the organization for me to be out in the community and certainly a good way to maybe get potential clients to work with their organizations on how to use social media or how to understand networking or to get the right talent. And so I had the opportunity to do those things. And it became enough after a while that I finally had to say, you know, this is not my day job. This is not how I, you know, eat food and live indoors. I need to start charging a little bit in order to really justify my time taking me away from my job. If I'm going to be speaking somewhere, I'm going to need at least a little bit of money Um, That will cut down on some of the opportunities to do so, but it will also maybe replace some of the potential income that I could gain elsewhere, and which was nowhere near what I could make um, as a recruiter. So I started charging a little bit, again, while still doing the executive recruiting. And about three and a half years into working at Centennial as an executive recruiter, um, I had also gotten a coaching certification during that time and was doing a little bit of coaching. I just began to feel inside me kind of the the itch to, again, I was ready, I felt, to start my own business. Now, I say ready. Let me take that word back. I wanted to start my own business, whether I was ready or not. But I was unsure of myself, and I didn't, again, really have a plan. I knew I wanted to do speaking. That had become clear, and you know I kind of was stepping into that 20-year dream. Um, I had some paying clients already, I had a consulting client or two that were paying me for consulting and not just recruiting. And I wanted to maybe dip my toe into the start my own business waters. And thankfully, again, Mike Sipple, Sr., wise man, had told me when I joined the company that I know eventually you want to start your own business. And if and when you're ready, I will help you. Again, an amazing gift from an amazing man to tell you not I want to keep you and you can't work on that. If and when you're ready, I will help you. And so I knew I had his support, but I didn't really know how to go about it. So I can tell you that for probably a year, I struggled. I struggled and it began to affect my performance as a recruiter. So that was unfortunate, but I wasn't really, I knew that there was something new and next, but I wasn't being brave enough to take the steps. And I say brave enough, but maybe that means in some way that it wasn't the right time. I didn't have things like a name for my company, and so I used that as an excuse. I can't go out on my own because I don't have a name for my company. Um, you know, I'm afraid that I won't be able to make it. I was a single mom at the time, and of course, like anyone, you know, how am I going to make money? and I don't really know what to do next. Um, so I started doing something similar to what I'd done earlier. I started talking to people now that I knew or that I trusted and saying, you know, I'm considering starting my own business. I could continue to stay here and really, dive into more the executive recruiting side, or I could go back into the corporate world in an HR or leadership role. Um, That one wasn't really appealing to me. But again, remember, you have to pick three things. Um, So that was what I started talking to people about. And I started, again, getting great advice from people. A lot of people really encouraging me at this point to do what I felt most comfortable with. And of course, I wasn't comfortable with any of those things. So um, at that time... Mike Sipple Jr., so this is the son of the owner of the firm who also worked in the firm, came to me one day. And of course, I had told the people uh, at the company that I was thinking about these things. They knew that. And he came to me one day in December of 2000, my head said earlier, 2015. Let's scratch back. That was 2005, (laughs) sorry, 2005 when I started, or left the corporate world, 2006 when I started at Centennial. So those of you that have been going, LinkedIn was around before 2016. So we're not going to edit that out. So let's reset here. It's December 2009. Jennifer is in confusion. What to do next in her life? She's out talking to people and because I am a person of faith, um, and again, you know, hopefully you can find value in this, regardless of what you think. But I was also asking a lot of people to pray for me. I felt like it was a time in my life when I should be seeking God's will, that one of these three decisions was, quote, "God's will for me." And I was just not either doing a good enough job of listening for God's will or my prayer life wasn't strong enough or a whole host of other reasons, you know, when you you aren't feeling, uh, very well, you start to everything's against me. And so I was asking all of these people that I knew that were people of faith and saying, please pray for me that one of these decisions to either start my own business, to continue with recruiting, or to go back into an HR role will like magically be up in lights and it will be revealed to me that that is God's will for my life. So again, Mike Sippel Jr. brings me a book that he and his uh, couple's Bible study group were going through. And the book is called Just Do Something, A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will. Now, of course, Michael knew that I was thinking about these things, and I had talked to him about it, but I'm not much of a reader, and I don't know that he had ever given me a book. He reads tons of books. But he came into my office one day, handed me this small book, um, and said, I thought of you when we were reading this. And again, the title is Just Do Something, a Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will or How to Make a Decision Without Dreams, Visions, Fleeces, Impressions, Open Doors, Random Bible Verses, Casting Lots, Liver Shivers, Writing in the Sky, etc. Now that is a subtitle. And it is by Kevin D. Young, who I believe is a youth pastor. I just found this book a couple of weeks ago, again, when I was uh, cleaning out my bookcase. And here's the note that Michael wrote to me in the book. To Jennifer, may this book be an encouragement to you and inspire the next step personally and professionally. I look forward to our next conversation. Mike Sipple Jr. Talk about an impact maker in my life. Both of those Sipples have been impact makers for me. But I, I, you know, somebody hands you a book, even though you don't read books, you should at least kind of skim through it. And I opened it up, and I believe that my life was changed when I read the first page. Um, it it helped me to kind of gain clarity on what was next for me. And again, I'm going to just read you like a couple of sentences from the forward. The the very big sentence on the forward page is, it is God's will for you to read this book yes, I'm talking to you. What are the odds that you would just happen to pick up this book and flip open to this page and start reading? Obviously, it's a sign. And then he goes on and he says, now, let me tell you, everything in that previous paragraph is total baloney. It's bunk. Not true at all. Actually, I don't know if it's God's will for you to read this book, but I do think that reading it could be a really good idea. So that was interesting. Um, and very quickly, within the first chapter, again, the right time, right place, right advice, um, the way that the, the conversation was framed for me was that, again, or I'm a person of faith, so you can interpret your life however you would like. But for me, this little book said, and the words within it said, God doesn't care what you do in your life. He's given you gifts and skills and talents and experiences, and it's your choice how you use them. What God cares about is whether or not whatever you do, you are doing it for his kingdom and for his glory. And, you know, for some of you that that maybe that is uh, not how you choose to live your life or you don't believe, um, hopefully you can still see that for me that was very And if you are a person of faith, maybe that speaks to you as well. God does not care what you do with your gifts and talents. It does not mean that every one of us out there in the world has to follow a specific path ultimately, use our gifts and talents to further His kingdom and to give Him glory. And I believe that His kingdom is here on earth and that we are the people that live out God's glory through caring for others and, quote, creating impact. So that little sign was enough in December of 2009 for me to say Well, then I'm going to choose of the three things that I'm considering. I could do all of those things. Thankfully, I've been given gifts and talents to be able to do those things. But I really am most interested in starting my own business. So I'm going to choose that option, even though I'm scared, even though I don't have a name for my company, even though I don't really know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to trust that I will be able to use the gifts, skills, and talents that I have if I pursue helping others. And again, in my mind, creating God's kingdom here on earth, that that will be blessed. Um, And so In February of 2010, after some more conversations with the team at Centennial and encouragement from Mike Sipple, Sr. and also Jr. and thanking him for for handing me this book, which I will link to in the show notes if it's still available. I haven't even checked. Um, I stepped out on my own in February 2009. But it's um, the reason why, one of the reasons why I'm doing the episode this week, it's April of 2018 when I record this episode I say that I stepped out of Centennial in February 2009 out on my own. But what that meant was I just didn't get in my car and go to work. I still didn't have a plan for what to do next. I didn't know how to start a business. I'd done nothing. I had picked a name with, with the help of a friend because I was trying to work in my passion for horses into some sort of title. And we were at lunch. And thanks to Benita Martin, she just popped out, why not, unbridled talent, And of course, I looked and the domain was available. And so Unbridled Talent LLC was born. Um, But we didn't know what we were doing. (laughs) So I always tell people when I say I started in February 2009, I actually call the anniversary date of my business April 10th, 2009, which is as of this recording is tomorrow. Um, Because that's the day where I finally had gone to a lawyer and formed the official LLC. So it was officially born April 2010. um, But still, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, And so looking back, what I should have done was the things that I had to help to make me successful up to that point, going out and talking to people and seeking advice and relying on people who had maybe gone down this path before to say, you know, okay, I'm actually starting the business. What are some things I should do next? So, you know, the miss for me for that Six or eight or nine months um, of kind of just setting up bank accounts and getting a website made and working on marketing copy Um, probably would not have wandered around in that wilderness so much if I had been willing to um, engage some people, some professionals who could help me, which that usually means paying some money. Um, and also realized that I didn't have it all figured out. You know, there's a lot of information out there today online about how you can start your own business. Uh, You can listen to this podcast, you can listen to others to see how they've done it. But at the time, that wasn't so readily available. But there certainly are plenty of people that could have helped me that I didn't reach out to, whether that's something like SCORE, which is an organization for retired executives who help people with things like this, or people that I did know that would have been willing to mentor me or coaches. You know, why didn't... If a career coach had been so helpful to me, I don't know why I didn't engage a business coach at that time, but um, I didn't. Thankfully, though, I had the opportunity to kind of wander around in the wilderness. I did have some speaking clients for not a lot of money um, because, remember, I was just charging a little bit to kind of account for my time away from my, quote, day job. Um, And I got a consulting client my first day um, in my job. You know, in that February, I got my first consulting client for a business that had not been set up from a uh, nonprofit board that I served on with a a CEO friend of mine who asked me what I was doing that day. And I said, today is the first day I'm starting my own business. And he said, come to my company and see if you can help me. So that was a gift and a blessing. Um, It took me probably six to nine months to figure out how to invoice them (laughs) because, again, Not a lot of great advice, didn't set up systems, didn't do those things. So I did the work. Uh, They would have been happy to pay me. They actually were calling me, going, We need to pay you. Please send an invoice. Um, Thankfully, over time, I have found fresh books, but at the time, didn't really know how to pursue that. So that's a story for another day. But ultimately, over time, had some more great advice, again, from a friend at a conference, Charlene Lobby, where we were discussing this. And, you know, I said, I, I want to be a speaker, but I feel like I need to do consulting in order to kind of build my brand. And Charlene said to me, Jennifer, you need to decide if you are a speaker who consults or a consultant who speaks, because those are two very different things. And that really caused me to kind of sit back and think about, you know, what are the things that I'm going to be out there telling people that I do? When I introduce myself to people, you know, that, that quote, elevator speech is my, um, the way I describe myself. Am I a consultant? And I also do some speaking, or am I a speaker? And I may do some consulting if it makes sense. And that was, quote, life-changing advice from Charlene. Thank you. Thank um, you who helped me to see if I want to be a professional speaker. Remember my 20 year goal, I'm fully in it now. Um, I've been given the opportunity to speak, but if I want to make a living as a speaker, I need to pursue being a speaker. If I do some consulting or coaching, um, that is secondary to telling people that I'm a speaker, to pursuing speaking opportunities, to basing my business model on that. And so thanks to Charlene, that's what I pursued. And I began to go to conferences and events and just meet people. You know, so some of the events where I wanted to learn or I wanted to learn from people or I know I needed to meet people, I paid my own way. Um, you know, thankfully I had a little bit of a runway to get started, but I paid my own way to go to these conferences, events. I continued to do these, you know, maybe small local events or small corporate events with clients or people that I already knew, teaching a lot about. Using social media and HR and recruiting, which was not what I wanted to be an expert in, but I was an expert at that time. Not a lot of people had done that. I'd done it to build my own brand. I'd done it to recruit clients as an executive recruiter, and I certainly could teach people how to do that in the corporate world. Ultimately, I wanted to be talking about leadership and making an impact and, and bigger, higher things. But my expertise at the time that people wanted to hire me for was using social media to build a brand, to um, build your employer brand, and to recruit talent or to communicate internally. So um, it's kind of like a lot of other things. It wasn't my intention to start my business as a speaker on those topics, but that was what people were asking for, and so I did. And over time, I I like to say it's probably a three to five year build, I think, to build a quote speaking business because you do have to go a lot of places for free. You have to pay your own way. You have to build the same as building a client base as an executive recruiter. And I'm so grateful, again, that I was given the advice to learn that and to understand from people who taught me how to build relationships, to go out and build the relationships that I needed in order to start uh, proposing or being asked to have the opportunity to speak in front of groups at conferences and corporate events so about you know the first one or two years I was paying my own way I would apply to speak through you know the the call for presentations once I got to those conferences delivered and hopefully did a good job then maybe reached out to the conference organizers and asked for an opportunity to maybe have my expenses paid the next year if I was invited to come be to come back to the conference. And then probably about the third year, I made the decision that um, I'm not going to go anywhere where at least my expenses are not being paid, but I'm going to pursue at least some sort of small payment for the breakout sessions Um And of course, there are times when maybe you still do a a free speaking engagement if it's the right opportunity, the right people, et cetera. I do and have done for years some local pro bono work with our Chamber of Commerce and Women's Leadership Programs and um, some things to give back to my community. But beginning to focus at about the three-year mark on less and less, quote, free opportunities, making sure that it wasn't money out of my pocket to Go somewhere to do something and ultimately starting to um, pay my way or, or actually have income in my business. About the fourth year as a speaker, I started really focusing on pursuing keynote opportunities and forever will be grateful to Robin Schooling, who was the conference director for the Louisiana Sherm Conference, who reached out to me and invited me to be the keynote speaker at Louisiana Sherm. I sat on my stairs and cried when I got that email because it had been a goal to be a keynote speaker and to be offered the opportunity at a large state conference to to do that. And again, Robin was a friend, someone that I had met through going to these conferences and events and engaged with online, particularly on Twitter. Um, and to be given that honor was a turning point for me in my career and I'm forever grateful to Robin for having that impact on my life. So for the next couple of years, some a few keynotes once you start doing one and people see that that's something that, uh, you know, I was doing that started inviting me to other opportunities and probably about um, year six, seven, focusing really only on keynotes and then really trying to refine my craft and get better at it, which that is a a lifelong learning opportunity for me. How can I continue to up my game and learn from other people? And so here we are, April 2018. That is eight years in business. Eight years. I still, thankfully, don't think about it very often because I can go down the rabbit hole of getting scared and nervous if I think about I am solely responsible for paying my way in life. Um, you know, I'm like many people. I have a mortgage. I have, um, you know, a life that, life that I have to support. Uh, I have a business. I have some people who help me in the business that I have to pay, you know, whether that's the people that help produce this podcast or a virtual assistant that I use from time to time. There are things that I have to bring in money in order to pay for. I also support a small ecosystem of, of people and animals that I love. I have a son um, – that is getting a second degree in chemical engineering. I have a cat that I love dearly and is my uh, COO in my business. She's unpaid. She does that for free. I have three horses that I have to support. And so really I work to make sure that they have shoes and food and are at a full care boarding facility and get the training that they need because that's my passion. So I am truly working to fund my passion and I love every minute of it. But every year I try to level up in some way in my business. And maybe we'll do an episode at a future date on that. But I wanted to share with you a little bit of my journey to call out some of the situations and the impact makers along the way. So, if I were summing up for you, you know, how I got to where I am here in April 2018, eight years of supporting myself. And again, trying not to really think about the gravity of what that means that, you know, if the economy falls or, You know, if things change in the world, I just have to continue to trust that if I'm using the gifts and skills and talents that I've been gifted with and given, and we all have those, they're all different, thankfully, um, that if I'm using those in service to others and helping others, and ultimately in my case, believing that I am um, glorifying God and, and creating His kingdom here on earth by doing that, then ultimately things will work out. May not always be comfortable, and certainly it has not always been comfortable. There have been some really dark times over the last eight years, but all of those dark times, I can assure you, and I'm happy to share those with you at some point if you'd like to know, um, all of those dark times have been highlighted by amazing, amazing, amazing highs. And all of those um, bright moments were as a result of someone reaching into my life, like whether that was offering me an opportunity or engaging me to do something at just the right time or um, asking me to help them with something that was fairly easy for me to do. The relationships that I've built along the way have allowed me to sustain this business and hopefully to continue growing it into the future. So I'm supremely grateful for what I learned during my transition period in 2005-6 to go out, to focus on building relationships with others, to make the connection, to be interested, to be curious, And through engaging in those conversations, through offering to help other people, through teaching what you already know, through doing those things, opportunities can happen. Opportunities can happen not just if you want to start your own business, but it certainly can create opportunities in your work life. If you're gainfully employed in an organization and that's what you want to do, the same advice works for you. It can help you level up in your career, or it can help you be even more awesome at what you already do. So some takeaways for you from my story. Put yourself in a position to make an impact. Don't focus so much on making the quote right next step. Focus on finding ways to utilize your gifts, skills, and talents. Share what you know. Help other people. That comes back to you. Be willing to learn from and take advice from and mentorship from anyone. Remember, I joined the recruiting firm thinking I would be learning from someone who had been in the business for 35 years, and I did learn from him and the other people at the firm. But I also learned from his son, who was much, much, much younger than me. In fact, he never told me how old he was because he was so young. But both of them changed my life. Don't take advantage of other people based on their circumstances. If, if you... Want to make an impact on people, just seek to help them. Don't think about what you're going to get in return because sometimes you won't get anything in return, but more often than not, you get something back and probably not at that time, but probably at some point later in life. And if you're just focused on doing the next right thing and how can I help others, then it will come back to help you more than likely. And then finally, not everything has to happen right away. Remember, I kind of set a goal to do something at 10 years in my career, at 20 years in my career. I forgot about that goal. But through helping others, through getting out there, through learning, through putting in myself myself in positions, sometimes where it was uncomfortable, but a growth opportunity, I was able to really learn from others get the help that I needed from others who have put me in a position to be able to hopefully impact more people. So I hope through sharing some of my story, and again, that's just some of it. Remember, I didn't even go into a lot of detail with growing up in a log cabin. You, know? <laughs> you didn't want to hear that, I'm sure. Um, but that hopefully will encourage you at some point that you are today. Hopefully something from there maybe resonated with you, whether it's the book, and again, I will link to it in the show notes, or it's the fact that you need to challenge yourself to go out and talk to people if you are introverted and don't feel that's how you're wired. Or if you're extroverted, to challenge yourself to go out and really focus on listening to people rather than maybe engaging and sharing uh, as much about yourself as, as you uh, do, which makes you delightful. Um, but also really focusing on what are my gifts, talents, knowledge that I can share. How can I package that up, give it to people? Can I set aside some time to meet with people just to help them? Um, Many of us tend to get into, you know, protecting our time, which is important. You need to prioritize your time and protect it. But are you focusing any time on helping others in their journey? Because ultimately that will probably help you in yours. So thanks for listening today, we'll be back next week with another interview with an impact maker that hopefully you can learn from and can help you to build a career that you love and a life that matters, because that's my goal for you. Have a great day. It's time for you to get noticed, create change and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review.